Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 8 is over, but we're just getting started on the Game of Thrones feedback show here on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the two guys who are truly no ones. I'm Rob Sister, and here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I, <laughs> a podcaster is Josh Wiggler of Brooklyn, <laughs> and I'm never going home. <laughs> You're not no one. You're not no one. No, no, no. Neither of us are no one. You guys know who we are. We would be the worst yes. baseless men. You have a blue checkmark sigil. You're not no one. <laughs> We're still not on like this. Me. We're still on this. <laughs> Only getting this if you listen to the Road to Podcast Awards. Yes, all right. The mildly tense conversation about verification on Twitter. <laughs> well, here we are. We are back once again after episode number eight. Only two Game of Thrones episodes left here in season six. Somehow, we seemed like we were just on the road to Westeros, let alone the road to the podcast yeah. awards. And now here we are taking your feedback as we get into uh, the final two weeks of Game of Thrones. Final two weeks of Game of Thrones. Last couple of weeks, probably a little bit slower uh, than it has been or that we may have liked on Game of Thrones, but it feels like we are now at that point of just like these final two episodes should be pretty jam-packed. You know, Battle of the Bastards looks epic. Final episode of the season is called The Winds of Winter. So The Winds of Winter did arrive in 2016. Just you not, called it. Just not the way anyone expected. Uh, so we're on the edge of some cool stuff, I think. And not to say that there wasn't cool stuff in this last one, but uh, I do think that it's probably one of the weaker installments of season six, if not the weakest. Mm. I, I feel like the episode where Sam and Gilly went to dinner, I think is still the weakest sure, of the season. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to nitpick yeah. and split hairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, so. was, that was tough. That was tough. All what right. do you think Sam and Gilly are up to? There's only two more episodes where Sam and Gilly can appear. Yeah, I think they pop in on like the finale, and I think that's it. Wow, a grand total of three appearances for Sam and Gilly. <laughs> well, that one appearance was like a good, you know, twenty minutes of screen time. So I think <laughs> if you sort of like space it out, they're probably is in the running in terms of total screen time, total minutes Maybe. on the floor in season Maybe. six. Yeah, yeah. A right. lot of screen time at the Throners coming up in a couple weeks. All right, so Josh, what have you been working on at The Hollywood Reporter this week? Uh, working on a lot, getting back into it. Uh, after a week or so away from the beat, uh, I got to talk to Faye Marseille, who plays the Waif, or played oh. the Waif, I should say. We had a great chat where she told me about the time that she fell asleep in a plate of salmon. Um, <laughs> that was great. She brought up the Terminator thing completely on her own. I didn't even have to ask. That was what she was going for. Yeah, that's the no, that she was aware. Like she's been like pointed out. Like, do you know that you're just the Terminator? She's like, oh, I hadn't realized that, but I guess you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun interview. She was very fun to to speak with. I had a good time talking to her. Spoke with the director of the past two episodes, Mark Mylod, uh, who had some great insight into some of the scenes. Um, and what went into, you know, coming up with the with the big foot chase through Bravos that he was very proud of that we kind of crapped on on the podcast. But mm-hmm. he doesn't know that. He doesn't listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else? I spoke with Dean Charles Chapman, yes. King Tommen. Yes. How is Tommen? Tommen's upset. You know, Tommen's <laughs> bummed out. Why? He's, he's very sad for Tommen, Dean Charles. He feels he feels like Tommen is, you know, every, he says uh, every time Tommen is trying to do something right, he keeps falling on his bum. Mm-hmm. That was that was the line he gave me. And I asked him, where's Sir Pounce? He didn't have a good answer. Does he still talk to Joffrey? I don't know. I should have asked that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, does Joffrey like give him advice in terms of like uh, like uh, playing the king? <laughs> maybe. Maybe he does. I think Joffrey probably doesn't think much about Game of Thrones. <laughs> would be my guess. I think that he put that behind him. All right. Well, we are getting into uh, your voicemails, of course. So all this feedback uh, comes in every week at postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail or got at postshowrecaps.com. And uh, very excited. You know, uh, Josh, also that uh, some of my commentary on this season has been uh, featured uh, recently as well. Oh, is that right? What, what are you talking about? What is this? Yes, that that in a recent article on Mashable, some of my Game of Thrones commentary was was quoted. Whoa, look at you. <laughs> yes. Look at you yes. getting that Mashable representation. Yes, uh, that as as a uh, one of the uh, the key Game of Thrones analysts out there uh, that my recent tweet was picked up in an article called 
Arya Stark's miraculous recovery did not convince a cynical internet. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a great headline. It's very funny. And I happened to be clicking on this article. I said, oh, okay, that seems like an article I would like. Arya Stark's miraculous recovery did not convince a cynical internet. And they have a bunch of embedded tweets. uh, And at the top of the article... It was mentioned, uh, I see a tweet from myself <laughs> where I tweeted, the Game of Thrones theory nobody saw coming includes a bandage and soup. <laughs> Wait, you're the first tweet that's embedded in the article? Yes, yes. You have top billing? Top billing, yeah. You're the Peter Dinklage of Mashable's <laughs> Game of Thrones Twitter embed story. Which is funny because I feel like that my tweet could have been an alternate universe mashable headline. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Game of Thrones theory nobody saw coming includes a bandage and soup. Yeah, no, that is great, great headline material right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't really uh, super indignant. I did not think about that, even though many people on the internet were. Uh, but yeah, that, that was uh, very funny. There are a when lot of you people. said super indignant, was that intentional? <laughs> no. Did you mean that? No, it was not. No, it or was, was not. that just a happy accident? Yeah, happy accident. How right. do we get some of that soup, by the way? Mm, no, you don't want it. Lady Crane's soup is terrible. Why is it terrible? It heals your holes. I guess so. Was it healing soup? I thought it was. That was more sort of like the, her bandage skills were top notch. It's it's the combo. It's the combo deal. Yeah, soup plus bandage plus milk of the poppy equals uh, you'll be fine. Yeah, right as rain in the morning. <laughs> right as rain. All right, so Josh, where do you want to begin this discussion of episode eight? I think that we should stick with Arya. I think we want to stay with Arya. Arya closes out the episode. It's called No One. That is obviously a reference to Arya Stark. Let's stick with Arya. Uh, and let's begin with a voicemail from the great Daniel Strunk. Hey, Robin Josh. Daniel here from Florida. Wanted to call and say, am I the only one that's a bit surprised that there was no twist to the Arya storyline? I really thought that there was going to be some sort of Jack and Hagar appearing at some point and killing off the Waif maybe, especially since the Waif had made Arya suffer. They even highlighted that in the previous uh, episode um, bit at the very beginning, and I know there were other theories floating around the internet. Um, but all said and done, pretty linear storyline, um, pretty linear chase and everything. I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. I really liked it. I don't think they need to spice it up that much. Sometimes telling a straight story is the best way to go. And I think in this case, it paid off. Uh, but curious for your thoughts. Thanks so much. First of all, let's not call it a linear chase. Mark Mylod put a lot of work <laughs> into that chase. Yes. An extensive a lot, chase. A lot of gear shifts. A lot of different things happening. That bathhouse, was that linear? Hey, I don't that know. That was a curveball. That was a curveball. I don't know where that, that was I going. Wanna call, I don't want to refer to the bathhouse with any curveballs. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Stay away from that. <laughs> Fair enough. But are we, are we surprised that there was no twist to the Arya storyline? I have to say that because I was away during The Broken Man and I wasn't watching it live, I watched it days after it aired. Uh, it's the most disconnected from Game of Thrones I had felt in a very long time which was rather jarring because I'm so in it right now, that I was sort of away from all of these Arya theories. I was away from all of these Arya theories. I wasn't super plugged in. So I was a little bit surprised to find just how conspiratorial some of the theories had gotten. So you're the man who can really weigh in on this because you were still in the trenches during this whole time. Was it surprising that there was no real theory payoff with Arya? I didn't see anybody mentioning Lady Crane and Soup as the remedy for Arya. <laughs> yeah, I think it was super surprising. I mean, Steven and I <laughs> led off the feedback show last week about uh, a bunch of different theories that were out there. And a lot of these theories were really starting to catch on and people felt like something was going to be up because you felt like, okay, she's stabbed, she's dying, something has to happen to, like, it doesn't explain why she was acting so weird and also we need to re- explain how she's going to be able to recover and then ultimately get one over on the waif and it was just uh, super straightforward in terms of how it was handled on the show and while i don't listen to any other game of thrones podcast i do spend a lot of time watching game of thrones youtube videos and after the thrones (laughs) and and after the thrones uh they don't get too much into alternative theories on the i mean that that's pretty much uh you know just sort of like a cut and dry recap 
of what happened and a little bit of analysis. But you know, there's so many different uh, great people that cover Game of Thrones on YouTube. Uh, just to name a couple of them, uh, Preston Jacobs does a great job. Uh, Alt Shift X, uh, Red Team Review, Comic Book Girl 19. Uh, so there's a lot of fun stuff out there for, in terms of YouTube channels that cover the Game of Thrones. And just to bring up a point that uh, Preston Jacobs touched on, that uh, maybe it's not so much the Arya recovery that is the biggest issue to have with this, but why did Arya go back to Jack and Hagar at the end of the episode? That this is really the most curious thing out of all of this. Like, even if we say, okay, Arya miraculously was healed by Lady Crane. Okay, she got one over on the waif and was like Jason Bourne running through the streets. Right. Like, why did Arya just not get the hell out of Dodge or Bravos, if you will? Why go back and really rub it in Jack and Hagar's face when she is uh, not in the best of shape right now? After she had rubbed it in the wave's face and rubbed off the wave's face. Right. Because Jack and Hagar, even if she got one over on the wave, like Jack and Hagar also is a super trained assassin. If he really did want her dead, you would think that he would make very short work of Arya. Why take that chance? Well, I mean, we see that Arya gets the drop on Jack and Hagar. Uh, Arya is in there. She has, she has had enough time to post the waif's bloody face upon like the most sacred column in the hall of faces. That's what she does here. And Jack and goes and sees it. And when he turns around, Arya Stark has needle pressed up against his chest. If she wants to, in that moment, Jack and Hagar is a dead man. Um, so as awesome as Jack and Hagar is, I think it's a testament to how awesome Arya is that she is able to sneak back in there and get the drop on the guy. That's not necessarily an explanation for why she's there, <laughs> which I which I could get to in a second if you'd like, but I think just to set the record straight, Arya absolutely got the drop on Jack and Hagar. I think that is known. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as for why she's there, you want to get into that? Sure. I would guess that she is there as either a back the F off and give me the green light to back away from the faceless men, without repercussion, or I could put needle through your chest. Uh, I think it's her safety measure of, I want to go home, I'm going home, I'm not asking permission, I'm telling you, and if you come after me, or if you do not give me a sign right now that this is kosher, I'm just going to take you out and make sure that this is no longer an issue. Uh, I think that this is her safety measure of watching, you know, not having to watch over her shoulder as she goes back to the Seven Kingdoms as Arya Stark. And why does Jack and Hagar just let Arya go? Well, I think that this is a great question, and I think that this is a question that is asked by John C. (laughs) here in our feedback show, or at least a theory that is put forth by John C., saying, with all the talk in recent episodes that certain characters have a purpose in the grand scheme of things, do you think Jack and Hagar always knew that Arya would never be no one and was helping guide her back to her true path? Um, There is a moment, you know, when we see Jack and Hagar in the scene where he looks proud of Arya. Even when she says, I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell and I'm going home, he kind of smiles and nods at her. Uh, Is it possible that Jack always knew that she was not going to be cut out for the faceless men, but knew that she had some sort of higher purpose for the many-faced god, and that purpose was going to be back in Westeros, and to get her back on that path, he needed to train her up, needed to get her ready, needed to sharpen her killer instincts and send her on her way. So either Jack and Agar knows everything that's going to happen ever or that he doesn't know enough to know that Arya is going to be able to get the jump on him. So I I just don't think it can be both things. Okay. So again, I feel like that in a storyline where we're saying, no, everything was completely straightforward. I find it hard to believe like that Jack and Hagar now has the foresight. I mean, we said this with the three-eyed raven. Okay, the three-eyed raven knew everything that was going to happen with the brand story. Okay, I'll buy that. I can't buy that Jack and Hagar knew every single thing that was going to happen this whole way through. And even the transgressions that Arya made, which at every test that they give her, she does uh, seemingly the opposite of what they ask of her to do. Right. Uh, that I don't know how she's sort of failed her way through the Faceless Men training program to graduation. She wouldn't be the first person in the history of humanity to fail her way upwards. <laughs> 
Yes, I guess so. That would not be a first. I And, you know, one of the things that the Faceless Men say is, like, you have to become no one. I am no one. I, I am not Jack and Hagar. I'm no one. All of those things. Um, but do we really buy that? You know, like, can someone truly be no one? Do we really buy that Jack and doesn't have some subjectivity, that, that he doesn't have favorites, that there aren't students he likes more than others, that there aren't rules that, that can be bent? I feel like that, you know, that idea of him being very strictly, specifically no one, that's fairly rigid, and I just don't think people work that way. Uh, so I think that with Arya, you could see him bending the rules a little bit if he really, you know, yeah. had had this attachment to her and, you know, all of this history with her and everything like that. And, you know, probably didn't like the Waif because, let's be honest, who liked the Waif? <laughs> Even Faye Marse didn't like the Waif. Uh, so, so, so I feel like, you know, you can, you can understand Jack and being like, all right, you killed the wave. Cool story, bro. See you later. So do you feel like that the faceless man is some sort of Starfleet Academy and this final test was some sort of no win Kobayashi Maru that Aria had to cheat to fix <laughs> the exam and that, the Jack and the guards is like, okay, well, okay, I guess so. You broke the rules uh, to beat the final test. I guess you graduate. I don't think it was graduation. I think it was like you you cheated, you're kicked out of school, and this seems like a mutual departure. Like, I'm, go do some things that you're going to have to do. I'm proud of you, but obviously our paths are on, on different levels at this mm-hmm. point. I mean, for me... We're free of this. We are have Arya going back to Westeros. There's reason for optimism here. I, I don't think it was uh, one of my favorite Game of Thrones things ever. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. I know. I you know it'll be interesting to think back ultimately when the whole show is said and done. Like, what were the weak points of Game of Thrones? What were some of the low points in this journey? And I do think the Bravo stuff. Unless there's some really big payoff that's going to stem from what Arya learned here, I think will probably be a low point when you look back on the show. Uh, but speaking of what could come from the Bravo storyline, let's take this voicemail from Isaac, who uh, has some questions about what faceless men's skills Arya might carry with her moving forward. Hey, Robin Josh. Isaac from Wisconsin calling. At the end of the last episode, I felt like Arya had learned nothing from her time in Bravos. However, after thinking about it for a while... We have seen Arya use a face from the House of Black and White to murder Mirren Trant. Now in this episode, we saw Arya successfully carve off the Waif's face and add it to the hall. Now that it's been established that Arya can remove and use faces of the dead, are we expecting her to use these skills in Westeros? If so, how do you see that happening? Yeah, Josh, did you get an account from the Waif of how the faceless man thing works? Is it just, could you take any face that you find and put it on yours and become that person due to uh, her training or is that something that specifically needs to be done in the house of black and white you know i didn't ask uh <laughs> did not ask that question to the actor Faye Marseille. uh i believe that would be a better question for one of the writers of the show <laughs> or for george r, r. martin himself so the mechanics remain murky <laughs> But at the very least, Arya is proven at taking people's faces off. Whether she can just, you know, on her own, rogue, renegade style, put the face on without, like, wrapping a rubber band around it and looking really terrifying, Mm. uh, that remains to be seen. Whether, like, it's like a leather face Arya or it's going to be a clean, faceless Arya, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think beyond the the faceless skills, well, first off, do you think that we'll see that again? Do you think that we'll see Arya use that skill in Westeros or or not? Mechanics aside, do you think that that's something that we'll see again from Arya? I mean, I feel like that. Is it Chekhov's face cutting off at oh, this God. point? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see. We'll see. But I mean, she's taking these faces from uh, the House of Black and White. I just don't know. Is there some magic that goes on there that they do I would to guess the faces so. yeah. and the ritual in that room? Yeah. Yeah. I would I would bet so. I would I would bet that there's something specific that these people are doing. Whether or not that's something you can do on the road, I would assume so, considering we saw in season two, in the season two finale, Jack and Hagar shapeshift right in front of Arya, um, you know, when they had left Harren Hall. So it's definitely something you can do on the road. Does Arya have the ability to do that on the road? Is that something that she knows to do on her own? You know, when she did transform into somebody else before she killed Marin Trant, did she do that at the House of Black and White? 
or did she do that while she was away? Uh, so does she already know how to do that? Um, my guess would probably be yes. Uh, I would bet that we see something like that again. I just feel like it would be a little wasteful, uh, a little wasteful. wasteful. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, to not have that be on the table. Um, but I think other things that Arya learned from her training as a faceless man was that she can, you know, she can fight in the dark. She can fight in pitch black. We didn't see the actual fight between her and the waif, but clearly she effed it up. You know, she really screwed up the waif. Uh, we didn't even have to see the details to know that Arya was able to pull this girl's face off in pitch black. So I think that that's a really powerful skill that she learned. I think that gives her an advantage. I just think that she's a better, more efficient killer. She's sneakier now. Um, you know, she was always sneaky. She was always good at surviving. She was always tough. But now she has a formal education in that stuff. And I think that's going to make her an even deadlier person when she comes back to Westeros. And just one of the other things when we do the rehash of season six, I, I do feel like we're going to end up saying that we spent probably way too much time on the Lady Crane of it all. Ah, not a Lady Crane fan. <laughs> I, I just don't think that the juice was worth the squeeze. I mean, we easily spent, what, 10, 15 minutes of screen time on watching different scenes from the play of a song of ice and fire uh-huh. <laughs> the musical and yeah. that i don't i just don't know if that really ultimately is going to end up paying off between and then and lady crane had like you know two or three different like long monologues outside of the play too you can't just appreciate good acting you can't just appreciate <laughs> a, as, a wait, strong performance. Meta. The, the Lady Crane actress or the performance in can it the not, show? Can it not be both? <laughs> I guess so. Can it not be all of these things? <laughs> no, I think that's totally correct. And I think that, you know, it's impressive what they did. I think that, you know, staging that rehearsal and, you know, coming up with all that stuff was really great. But I think that it went on for a while and you got to feel like some of that could have been saved for the Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah you know like that's a great bonus feature is like to watch the uninterrupted game of thrones on ice and fire uh you know i feel like that would be that would be good uh but to have it all on the show i think you're right i think when you do the post-mortem on season six it's going to be a lot of how much time did we spend on that show you know? <laughs> it's a lot that is a real production. Um, speaking of Lady Crane, this is from Matthew Forsythe. This is sort of tangentially about Lady yes. Crane. Um, to me, the most interesting moment of the episode was when Lady Crane asks Arya where she wants to go next. Arya tells Lady Crane that she would like to go west of Westeros, where all of the maps stop. Do you all think that this is a plot line that could play out on the show and is there any speculation of what exists west of Westeros? Well, Josh, I know that you are more versed in the geography of Westeros. I feel like, though, that even in these, uh, you know, Song of Ice and Fire or World of Ice and Fire maps, I feel like that that is not an area that's explored, correct? No, I'm looking at a map of, of uh, Ice and Fire, of the World of Ice and Fire right now. And Westeros is absolutely the westmost thing that we have on, like, the best map uh, of this world. Uh, Essos is gigantic. It's mm-hmm. a, a lot bigger than um, than I think people realize. Meereen is far from being the most eastern thing in Essos. Karth is actually further east than Meereen. Um, you can see Sutheros, which is a, a continent that you and I discussed with Jason Somerville yes. during our podcast with to the him. south, right? That's in that's in the south. There's possibly another continent called Olthos which nobody really knows if it's just like a gigantic landmass or if it's actually a continent. Basically, when you look at the best map of this world, um, it's showing you the extent of, like, America and then Europe as far as China, pretty much, and maybe a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. like, that's basically what you're looking at. And then the rest of the world is not even featured on what is the greatest equivalent of a globe in um in the world of ice and fire so if there is stuff west we don't know what it is uh the westerosi must have gotten pretty lazy because it doesn't feel like you it doesn't feel like it'd be that hard to keep sailing west and figure out what's going on well maybe nobody's come back maybe nobody's come back (laughs) maybe you reach around to like the other side of essos who knows well right it depends on really how big is this planet right at at some point if you just keep going uh, to the west do you end up on whatever the western tip of uh essos is 
Right. So, so who really knows? But it's a great question that Arya puts forth. It's very exciting. I don't think we'll go there on the show. Well, I, do you think the series could end with Arya in some sort of like uh, Christopher Columbus type mission of like, okay, I'm just going to go see what's west and we'll see what happens? I guess it's not impossible. Um, but I think that that would probably be the best version of that. Like, I don't think that we would actually see what's there. I think we would get the suggestion of a character who is going to sail that far. Uh, but I don't think that we would actually see what's going on. Okay. All right. But it was a cool idea. I mean, it's also cool that Arya is saying I'm going home because all of her siblings are there and it's going to be a great Stark family reunion if they all live long enough to get back together. Uh, but it would have also been cool to see the misadventures of Arya throughout the world of Ice and Fire. Then again, I think that we just said that we spent too long on Arya doing some misadventures through the world of Ice and Fire. So maybe let's just get her back to the main story. Let's get her back. Let's go to King's Landing. You want to go to King's Landing? Sure. Let's take this voicemail from Steve Davis. Hey guys, Steve Davis calling in. Is Cersei ultimately responsible for outlawing trial by combat? If she had just agreed to meet with the High Sparrow instead of setting the mountain loose on that one sparrow and ripped his head off, they wouldn't have recognized what a true weapon he was. Maybe she would have still been able to have a trial by combat after meeting with the Sparrow. What do we think? Is this once again Cersei's fault? Is Cersei's undoing once again to be blamed on nobody else but Cersei Lannister? No, I don't think so. I feel like that people know that the mountain is walking around as some sort of killing machine. Which Crushing is public himself. urinators on the street. Right. I don't think that his one murder of a guy that was uh, in the faith militant really had, the, they had like a come to the father moment where they said, Yikes. oh, my God, you know what? She's going to trial by combat. Us. Right. Like uh, it's going to be the mountain and we're going to lose. So let's right. change the rules. Right. So you think that that was already in the works? Yeah, I think that was in play considering that that is her loyal bodyguard. Everybody knows that that's who it's going to be. So they're sort of like uh, already spitballing. Okay. She's going to go for trial by combat. Who do we have? Oh, we have nobody good. Let's change the rules. That being said, she's probably responsible for it anyway, ultimately, by pushing this whole situation into motion. Yeah, I mean, I think that Lady Olana made that pretty clear, that it was uh, her stupidity which really did bring this all about. Yeah, so like ultimately, this is still on Cersei, but this specific aspect is maybe not so much on Cersei. Maybe it's on Maester Kyburn for creating too strong and effective of a weapon. Too Robert Strong? Too Robert Strong of a weapon, yeah. Certainly, that is a possibility. Maybe they should have just like kept him under wraps. Maybe if they sort of like would just kept like a sheet over his head and then sort of like just like had him like there was probably no reason to have him wandering the streets beating up on public urinators. Like had right. they just like kept him in the red keep for all this time, then maybe the people from the Faith Militant wouldn't have known about this threat. Like, ooh, who's Cersei going to pick as her champion? Okay, she's got nobody good. Jamie only has one hand. They're like, oh, this is, we got her dead to rights here. Right. Maybe the move was to create two champions. Uh, you have Robert Strong, obviously, and he's like the secret weapon you deploy when it comes time for trial by combat. But in the weeks leading up to it, you have Cersei followed around by Robert Weak. And you have like this really frail guy who's like, I'm Robert I'm on the King's Guard. I'm I'm assigned to protect Cersei. How are you? Good to meet you. And he's just like this very mild, meek, tepid individual that no one is afraid of. And the highest bear is like, oh, we totally got a trial by combat this. That's definitely the move. And then Robert Weeks suddenly is pulled off the stage at the last second, and then they put forward Robert Strong. I love it. I love this. I think that's the move, right? (laughs) Yeah. Who's Robert Week? Like Sweet Robin? (laughs) Sweet Robin Week. (laughs) That's great. That's the opposite of Roy Robin. Yeah. Yes. I think that I think you were really onto something. I think that that might have been the move because they were like, "Oh yeah, anyone can beat this guy." Uh, Lancel, get in there. Mm -hmm. You know, like anyone would have gone into that and felt pretty confident about their odds. Like, yeah, we've got a slam dunk case against Cersei that we can just win in a natural trial but it's going to be so satisfying for one of us to just smash robert week right maybe the high sparrow would have said uh, i think i can take this one myself i think (laughs) i got this one (laughs) yeah and then robert strong shows up and pulls off the high sparrow's head in one death move 
Yeah, <laughs> he killed two birds, two sparrows with one two stone. Two sparrows with one one stone with two Roberts. <laughs> there you go. It's got a great idea. It's the double Robert. I love this. We should have been in the writers' room. It. Yeah, you're a big fan of the double Robert. Yes, absolutely. It's a move you've implemented your entire life. You're just <laughs> waiting to unleash Robert Strong on the podcasting community. Yeah, I'm lulling everybody into a false sense of security you've with my biting, Robert Week persona. Yeah, you've been biding your time. Yes. Uh, speaking of Roberts, how about this from Robert Craig? Uh, this is a question from Robert Craig who says, Cersei sure is in a whole heap of trouble. And you know she isn't going to just roll over and surrender to the super douche High Sparrow. Do you think she will do something reckless that could cost Tom in his life and be the one to fulfill her own prophecy? Tommen is a great candidate to go this season, and I don't see any other way he is going to go. I would love to hear your thoughts. What do you think about this, Rob? We've been talking a little bit about, uh, well, we've, we've talked a lot all season long. It's just been taking us a long time to get here of what I believe to be the inevitability of King's Landing falling apart. Um, do we think that Cersei is going to do something that is going to directly cause this catastrophe, and would it involve her indirectly or unintentionally killing her own son and fulfilling this prophecy of Maggie the Frogs that her three children would die before she dies. I don't see Cersei doing something that would intentionally endanger Tom. Like I know we've been talking about Cersei potentially lighting the city ablaze with wildfire. I can't imagine that she does that if she thought that there was any chance that Tommen would be in danger. And it feels like that is a reaction to me. If Tommen ends up meeting an untimely demise, then she would set the city ablaze. Like I can't see her doing it as a way to sort of save herself or writing off Tommen. I feel like that that is the reaction. Jamie says when he's talking to Edmure that, oh, that my sister, she loves her children more than anything, just like your sister did, that they would, you know, set cities of, of, on fire right. to, to protect them. So I can't feel like that unless she felt like that he was in danger, that she does that if he is still reigning as king, even if he's betrayed her. Interesting. I think that Cersei, one of Cersei's greatest characteristics is that she believes she is better than she is. And this is something that's pointed out pretty early on in one of her first scenes with Tyrion. I think in season two, maybe season three, where he is like, you are like you think that you're a lot more clever than you are. Um, and I think that that has followed Cersei around in every single action we've seen her take on this show. Uh, very rarely has she been ahead of anybody else except for Ned Stark, and it's not hard to be ahead of Ned Stark, though it is hard to be Ned Stark's head. Uh, <laughs> I think that I, I think that Cersei, this whole situation is Cersei's doing. You know, Cersei thinking that she was getting one over on the Tyrells, um, that she was able to you know move the High Sparrow into a position of power to game Loras Tyrell and get Marjorie thrown behind bars and all of this and possess Tommen for her own. And then she is also the victim of this because she has given these guys too much power. That's a, that's a great classic example of Cersei thinking that she has a really clever plan in place, but it actually blows back on her. So that being said, I could totally see Cersei thinking that I've got this great idea for how to take out the mm -hmm. high sparrow I am going to absolutely eviscerate him. I am going to destroy the Faith Militant in one fiery fell swoop. And by accident, Tommen is caught up in the fire. Somehow, by accident, through Cersei's own actions, Tommen is an innocent bystander who gets killed. I think that it's not only possible that Cersei could inadvertently kill off her own son. I think it's likely. I think that that's probably how you lose Tommen. And I do think you have to believe that Tommen's not going to make it out of this show alive and probably not even the season alive. I think that we are moving into a position where King's Landing has to be in such turmoil that the leadership is completely uncertain because we've lost yet another king. I'd be surprised if Tommen goes out in the next two episodes. Really? Like, I feel like that. I would still... bet on it. Okay. Well, <laughs> unless, again, you're so tapped in. That I feel like I'm always hesitant to sort of make these kind of bets. It's not. It's not based on book anything. It's based purely on you know we've lo we've lost one Lannister sibling or, or yeah we've lost one of of Jaime and Cersei's children per season now. Like if we were to continue that trend, we lost Joffrey in four. We lost Marcella in five. 
feels like we would lose Tommen in six, and that sets the stage for a really unshackled Cersei, which is a terrifying prospect for the final seasons of the show. So just instinctively, in terms of where I think the narrative is going with Cersei's character being completely let loose off the chain, having lost everything that she really cares about, ultimately, Jamie not included, maybe, I feel like that's the way it's going to go. And I think that with King's Landing being as combustible as it is, possibly literally, yeah. I think that it's very, very probable that you lose time in these next two episodes. Because we still have the specter of Marjorie's plan also right, as a factor to sort of turn this around. I just feel like that. I don't think we're going to see any King's Landing this episode. I think that this is going to be all in the North. Yeah. So in that one supersized episode, how much are we going to get there? And I kind of feel like that. I think Tommen makes it to season seven. I agree that Tommen is probably not long for this world, but I feel like that that's something that happens in at least, you know, this broken up season seven. I feel like that that's part of season seven a more than it is part of season six, but we're on the same page that he's toast at some point. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Tommen is not making it out of the Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think that that happens in the next, uh, you know, two hours and 15 minutes of Game of Thrones time. Okay. I think that he is going to get roasted. I think, I think that he is going to get torched within the next two episodes. Well, this is a fun bet. I don't know what the stakes that we have uh, could be, but let's, let's uh, play this one out. Gentlemen's agreement. <laughs> sure. Gentlemen's agreement, and maybe uh, like I'd love to have, I'd love to have some sort of thing uh, to be able to put on the line. I have nothing. Nothing <laughs> comes to mind. The throniest throne it all. <laughs> sure, fine. Okay, all right. So that being said, Joshua, where are we going to go next? Uh, well, let's stick with wildfire for a second. You know, that's the big theory about Cersei right now. But here's another theory put forth by Rich Lasker. You mentioned the possibility of Cersei using the wildfire to burn King's Landing if Tommen is killed, but I think I have a possible use for the wildfire. I think it's entirely plausible the wildfire is used to destroy the White Walker army, and that it may be Bran who causes the Mad King to go mad in order for him to build the arsenal in the first place. Burn them all may be a vision of burning the undead. What do you think? This goes back to the idea, of course, that we've talked about before. There's some theories out there that Bran's time-traveling escapades could take him as far back as the days of the Mad King, and he's the guy who drives the Mad King insane, and maybe he's the guy who drives the Mad King so crazily obsessed with wildfire that he builds these insane wildfire reserves, and those reserves are eventually used on the White Walker army. I think I'm out on that portion of the deal. I'm out on everything with this. <laughs> but There's I, nothing about this that I'm in on. I think what, one thing that is interesting to me, if, like, if the story of Game of Thrones is eventually about getting all of the main players to realize that we've been facing the wrong enemy the whole time, we've been too busy fighting each other, and we haven't been worried about the great global threat, like the great catastrophe that's facing humanity, and then pooling their resources together and fighting together to battle that threat back, that the King's Landing thing to bring to the table, you know, there's a lot of Valyrian swords out there, but only so many that would be ultimately effective. The King's Landing thing they could bring to the table is a butt ton of wildfire. Um, and White Walkers do not care for fire very much. Certainly Whites don't care for fire. That's why we're excited about dragons possibly entering the mix. Maybe wildfire is yet another tool that humanity has in the war against the White Walkers. So I like it. But I think that's a lot of suppositions that the people in King's Landing will somehow get involved in that fight at some point. Also, the thing about wildfire is that it is incredibly combustible, unpredictable, and difficult to transport. How are you getting it from King's Landing to the north or even the wall? Right. It's or like, even it's like dynamite the from the Black Rock. Right. <laughs> right. You have so, some Ariast. Yeah. Don't tell me that you're going to, you know, ride up the King's Road in some sort of stagecoach and transport all of this wildfire without completely before you make it to the Riverlands. <laughs> You'll be toast. Yeah, it's going to be hard to bring that all the way. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, you got to you got to be really careful carrying that stuff. Yeah. So there's no way that you could transport 
all of that wildfire. And I feel like that it's just going to be too easy of a thing like, oh, we had the you know antidote to White Walkers uh, underneath King's Landing this whole time. Well, maybe then, you know, I keep saying that I think that the story has to end in the north. That's where it started. What if the story sees everyone from the north being pushed back south and everyone's in King's Landing and now the White Walkers are there? And now you've got some wildfire that you don't have to carry very far. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sort of starting to get more and more out on this idea that this show is ending with this climactic battle between good and evil. So how's it going to end? <laughs> I don't know. But I'm telling you, I'm watching all these YouTube videos and they're making a lot of sense to me, Josh. What are they saying? What are they telling you? Just talking about the George R.R. R. Martin's worldviews and how that uh, that he's really sort of crapped on the Lord of the Rings franchise and says that, you know, he does not like how a franchise like that ends with a climactic battle between good and evil. He doesn't look at the world in such simple terms. And so I don't know if that's ultimately where this is going. Maybe not in the books. Uh, I feel like the show streamlines things, to put it nicely, quite a bit more. Uh, And I feel like the show is, you know, especially recently has kind of become the blockbuster adaptation of A Song of Ice and Fire. And I wouldn't be surprised if A Song of Ice and Fire has a quieter ending or an ending that isn't quite as good versus evil or at least some version of a, of a major subversion on that idea that nobody is seeing coming. Uh, I, again, I hesitate to throw curveballs out there in this podcast, but mm-hmm. a curveball that we don't see coming uh, could be the case in the books. I feel like with the show and the way that they've streamlined some stories, I'd be really surprised if we don't go in the direction of some sort of climactic battle, at least on the HBO adaptation. Okay, interesting. Interesting. So... Uh, we'll see, but I think we're both on the same page that uh, wildfire is not the answer to our problem. I don't think so. It'd be cool. It'd be great. I mean, it'd be awesome to see, like, you know, the green nuclear bomb dropped on a bunch of White Walkers. That would be, like, a great visual thing that you can kind of easily picture, and it'd be mm-hmm. very fun to watch. But I think How about you- the green nuclear bomb dropped on a bunch of faith militants? Yeah, I mean, I think that wildfire is going off, and mm-hmm. probably soon, um, but I don't know that there's going to be enough left over for White Walkers. Okay. That'd be cool, but I just don't see it. No. Um, all right, let's talk about another Lannister. Let's talk about Jamie. Uh, let's move over to the Riverlands for a hot minute and take this voicemail from our friend Omri from Jerusalem. Hey, Robin Josh, how are you? This is Omri from Jerusalem, first of my name. This week, we got a big reminder of how Jamie used to be. When he talked to Edmure, he mentioned throwing babies to their deaths, and he even said the exact same sentence he said before throwing Ban out of a window, which was the things we do for love. Yes. He even waved goodbye to what I think is the best part about him, which is Brienne. Do you think the show is preparing us for Jamie to go back full circle to the way he was in season one? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we didn't talk about that on the live show, but that's something that's been pointed out in the days since the episode that Jamie does straight up say the things we do for love. It's a catchphrase. It's, it's, I guess, like when you pull the drawstring on the back of the action figure, he says that. He also says, somebody poison the water hole. <laughs> There's a snake in my boot. <laughs> yeah, a Dornish snake in my boot. A sand snake in my boot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, is Jamie becoming the Jamie of old? I would, I would posit, how much has Jamie truly changed since we've first met him? I think that he's been a little more open and honest with us, the audience. He had that great moment in the bathtub back in season three when he told us why he's the Kingslayer and what he prevented there, he confesses that to Brienne. Who else has he shown that side of himself to other than Brienne and other than us? I don't know that Jamie himself has really changed significantly, at least on the show. I think maybe books are a different story, but on the show, he's kind of still the same guy, and he's talking about throwing babies at walls. That really isn't so far away from where he was when he started the show, unless you think it was all for show, unless it's all as a way of goading Edmure into doing what Edmure ultimately does. Well, I do think that for Jamie, I think that what he has sort of realized is that the only thing that he cares about that's left in this world is Cersei. And I feel like that while that was always the case, I feel like that there were a lot of other things that were important to him, like being in the Kingsguard and uh, things of that nature in the Lannister house. And I kind of feel like that none of that matters to him anymore. And I feel like the only thing that he does care about 
is Cersei and sort of I think that at this point Jamie would be fine to sort of like if he could run off with Cersei and just go whether it's to Casterly Rock or wherever I think that he'd be okay with that as an ending where I feel like that in the beginning of the show I feel like that he was much more wrapped up in uh, you know the kingdom and the Lannisters and the whole Game of Thrones. I think it's interesting Jamie's loyalty to Cersei in contrast to his reunion with Brienne this week. And I mean, he is still saying, Sir, I love Cersei. I don't care if you laugh at it. I would do anything. I would kill all of the Tullys in the world to get back to her. And is that just like, should we just be accepting that? Or is there subtext to that scene where he doesn't even necessarily believe what he's saying anymore? Just to build on that, I think that it's a very subtle thing, but I feel like that where Jamie is with him and Cersei from season one, episode one to where he is in season six, episode eight is that in the beginning of the series, I think it was sort of, we are madly in love, but because of our respective positions, we have to do everything in our power to keep this a secret. Whereas here, I feel like that they are saying, and Jamie is saying that I am madly in love with Cersei and I'll do anything to be with her and I don't care who knows at this point. I want to scream it from on top of a mountain, but I don't have a mountain. I only have a Robert week. There's almost a something romantic about it here at this point where it was something almost perverted that we need to kill anybody who knows our secret. Now, I don't care who knows This is my one true love in this world. Yeah, it's interesting because I think circumstances have pushed them into a place where it, you know, really almost, there's almost no point in trying to keep up the charade. Everybody knows Cersei's life is on the line right now. What's the point in keeping it a secret? They're just like fighting for everything that they still have. And what they have is not a lot anymore. That's an interesting point you bring up. All right, where do you want to go now? Uh, well, let's stick in the Riverlands for as long as the Hound is going to stick in the Riverlands, which sounds like not very long. This is a voicemail from our good friend, R. Philly, about the Hound's next move. Hey, what up, you guys? Rich Alberto, your boy, R. Philly. So we saw Beric Dondarrion trying to convince the Hound to do something good with the rest of his life, to join them, head to the north, fight the good fight. But the Hound really did not seem sold on this pitch, right? So what I want to know from you guys is whether or not you think his relationship with Sansa Stark and the kind of soft spot that he always had for her when they were together during King's Landing is going to be the tipping point for him. We know Brienne and Podrick are on the run. They're on their way back to the north. Do you guys think that they're all going to run into each other and that once he finds out that Sansa's alive and in need of help, that's going to be what gets him to commit to this path that he's kind of been toying with over the last couple episodes? Anyway, thanks so much, you guys. Have a good one. Okay. What's your take on that, Rob? Based on... You know, as I am uh, diving into more and more research about the uh, Brotherhood Without Banners, like I, I just don't think that they're going to be super involved in the fight at Winterfell. Maybe, maybe it's a means to an end. And I know that they're talking about the Lord of Light, and they seem to know about the the coming war. But I, I just don't know what their motives are in terms of you know uh, where they want to go with all this. Yeah, I don't think that they will be there in time for the battle at Winterfell. Uh, you know, Battle of the Bastards is coming up in, you know, less than a week now, uh, just a couple days away. I don't think that the Hound gets to Winterfell on time for that. But if we do believe that the Brotherhood is heading north to, you know, pursue these cold winds, as Beric says, uh, to battle this, you know, great battle that is coming uh, that the Lord of Light has told them about. And if the Hound is already committed to that cause, like if he is committed enough that he has gone all the way up north, uh, I think that seeing Sansa would only commit him to the cause more. Um, And I do think that if you're getting the Hound into a storyline that is going northward, I feel like to have that happen, to know that there is this relationship that exists already between the Hound and Sansa and not follow through on that, I feel like would be a big missed opportunity that I don't see Game of Thrones whiffing on. I feel like that's the kind of thing that this show will really want to follow through on. So I think that if we accept that the Hound is moving north, and right now I don't see any reason why we shouldn't accept that to be what's going on with that character, Mm -hmm. I think that the Hound and Sansa will reconnect. I don't think it will be in time for 
this week's battle, we might not see it until next season. Uh, but I do think that we would see... I think that we're very likely to see the Hound and Sansa together again. But to what end? That Does Sansa need another person that's a sworn protector of hers? Because that the big problem there is that her other sworn protector, Brienne, tried to kill the Hound. So I don't know what you're going to do with the Hound once he reunites with Sansa. I think that he would be one of those protectors. I think that, you know, listen, I'm a huge, I'm shipping Sansa and Queen in the North. Pretty hard. Uh, I want to see that happen. And if that were to happen, we already know that Brienne is going to be on that on that Queen's guard. I think that that would be the case. And I think you could see the Hound on there as well. And especially if the Hound is a little bit more of a reformed guy, always going to be rough around the edges for sure. But do you get the sense that he's a reformed guy? I think that he is he is more at I I wouldn't say more at peace because I think peace is a hard thing to come by for that character. But I think that he is, I think that he is closer to being like a decent-ish human being than he has been ever uh, since we've seen him. I think Arya helped with that once upon a time. I think that uh, Ian McShane helped with that a little bit. I think that the Brotherhood can help with that a little bit now. And I think that working for Sansa and finding a new cause and fighting for her and fighting for something that he could actually feel good about fighting for somebody who is not going to command him to run down and kill a butcher's boy, I think is something that could make Sander Clegane feel pretty, pretty, pretty good. Uh, I hope so. So I, I can see it. I can totally see it. All right. We'll Again, see. maybe not in a song of ice and fire, but in the streamlined version of that story that's playing out on television, I can see that. Okay. Uh, let's keep moving. Let's, uh, let's, let's go back East for a little while. Let's talk about the Danny storyline. Let's take this voicemail from Matt Sig about a character who was in the Danny storyline but has mysteriously vanished. Hey guys, I was hoping you could take your finger out of your butt for a minute. Whoa! To my knowledge, Faris and Daenerys still haven't been in the same room together. He popped back up after she got taken by the Dothraki, and then he left conveniently right before the siege on Marine. Is it possible that Varys is behind the Sons of the Harpy? Is it possible that he wants to rule Marine? And if that's the case, are we looking at King Varys? I don't know, but that'd be pretty cool. What do you guys think? Let me know. Wow. All right. So a lot to process there, including the start of that question. Yes. Like, how did he know? <laughs> Which part? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's not dig too okay. deep into that. No, definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. You can hurt yourself. Okay. Yes. So, Josh, uh, is it possible? Is Varys Danny? He's Danny. He is specifically Danny. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he is a faceless man. And if Euron Greyjoy is Dario, then this is a very complicated scenario. And Dario is also Howland Reed, <laughs> I forget. <laughs> yeah. So Howland Reed is Dario, is Euron, is Varys, is Daenerys. <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. So do you feel like that it was a suspicious move for Varys to leave right before Danny came back? I hadn't really thought so until it was put out this way. Man, no, I think that Varys just has great timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if Varys is involved with the Sons of the Harpy because I feel like the Sons of the Harpy were pretty menacing before Varys even got to Marine. Yeah. I mean, for Var- like Varys is a double dealer. You know, we've seen that from him. You know, he was working for the Lannisters really just to be close to them, wanting to put a Targaryen on the throne in Daenerys for a long time. Uh, and so we know, we know that he has two sides to him at least. Could he be a triple agent? Could he be selling Danny out for somebody else? Maybe my bet is what you suggested on Sunday night on the live show. I really like the suggestion that maybe he's going to Dorne. You know, that's that's a that's a way to bring the Dornish storyline back into it. I think, you know, we tried to put Jamie Lannister in the Dorn storyline and that didn't make things any better. But Varys makes everything better. So maybe Varys could bring the Dorn storyline in an effective way uh, that ties that story back together and forges some sort of alliance with the Targaryens, knowing that the Dornish people have a history of w- a working relationship with the Targaryens. Yeah. Um, I think that's more likely than Varys is like, left just before the slavers got back on a hot tip to get out of Dodge. That doesn't seem like Varys to me, at least not the Varys that we've been starting to get to know over the past couple of seasons. 
Just one quick thing with Varys. The only other thing that we saw him besides sort of like walking around with Tyrion this season was we saw him with the Red Priestess and she was like really getting in his head. We yeah. know Varys hates magic and by proxy, I would imagine the Lord of Light. Is there anybody who is an enemy of the uh, Red Priestesses and the people that practicing uh, the ma- the magic of the Lord of Light that he might want to try to work with? Is that a, a rhetorical question? Do you have the answer or you're just wondering? No, I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, doesn't that feel like that would just be like, like at this point on the show, like that feels like just another layer to toss in that would probably be too complicated. Okay. Uh, for him to like, you know, suddenly rebel against the Targaryen cause because he's not happy with the magic thing and he's what? He's like going to burn the whole thing down. I just, I feel like that's too much to throw into it. I think it's got to be, you know, like with the Arya thing, we could talk it through for a while and we could theorize and we could have multiple possibilities, but maybe the streamlined version is the way to go. I think with Varys, it might just be the better, more streamlined way to go if he's legitimately leaving for Westeros to recruit somebody to Danny's cause and Dorne would be a really good possibility for that. Okay. Uh, this is from Gal Baum. Gal says... As a Survivor fan, I can't always recognize the winner's edit, but I believe that I can recognize the boot edit. Mm-hmm. And as far as I understand, Tyrion is going to be voted out by the end of the season. And then Gal lists a few reasons. He has no story. On this episode, he had a very emotional farewell to Barris. He said he is the most famous dwarf in the world. He talked about his plans for the future. What do you think? Can the most popular character be killed at this point of the show? Uh, Rob is a survivor expert, uh, who knows a thing or two about boot edits. Uh, do you think that Gal is on the money with this assessment of Tyrion's potential boot edit? I don't feel like that Tyrion is going to be dying in the next two episodes. I mean, to what end? Why? Why then did he go all the way to Marine only to die? What did he do? It seems like at this point that he would really be dying a death in failure in that he came to Marine, he screwed everything up, and now he died. So right. I don't understand his journey from King's Landing to Marine only to die. I mean, maybe he dies a hero's death in the finale, but it just seems like this is a weird time for him to die. I agree. Um, I think that what's more likely is this was a little bit of a spinning the wheels season for Tyrion Lannister. Everybody gets one, at least. Uh, like Everybody has a lackluster season. And mm-hmm. I think that this is probably Tyrion's lackluster season. But to kill him now before going back to Westeros when he is the link and the dink to so many different characters. Uh, you know, Tyrion has gone north. He's been to the Wall. He has heard stories of what goes beyond there. He's here in the east. He has met dragons. He knows about the fire out here. He is the guy that can broker any kind of treaty that would exist between Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen. He is the guy that would bridge that, you know, those two storylines together to not have him around for that. I feel like would be very much wasted potential. Certainly game of Thrones has not shied away from killing major characters, but I think when you look back at those deaths, they've all made sense and they've had narrative importance. And I think that killing Tyrion now for me, it feels like it would lack narrative importance. For me, it feels like it would just be shock factor. And I don't think that that's the way to kill off Tyrion Lannister. I think Tyrion's a totally killable character, but not yet. I think that we have I think he's an endgame player. Right. I think that you could see him die in the end, but I don't think that you can see him die much before that. I think there's, you know, 25 characters, I think, have a better chance to die before Tyrion in the next two episodes. One final question, again from Robert Craig. Speaking of Tyrion. With the season winding down, there are plenty of questions still to be answered, but I'm wondering if we're ever going to find out what happened when a man went to a brothel with a jackass and a honeycomb. Uh, that's a good question. Do you have an answer? Do you have, have you thought No, about have this? you Googled that? No, I'm afraid to. <laughs> jackass, honeycomb. NSF dubs. Um, yeah. Um, let's see. Maybe, uh, hopefully, we'll see. Uh, so exactly what was Tyrion doing? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think that's getting into spoiler territory. You might have to explore that on the book club. Yeah, I didn't want to say that, but this is in the books, guys. Okay, This is a a big plot point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. I think it's probably the answer is out there. I think so. Yes. Both in terms of like it's searchable 
and the answer will also be out there. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's it. That's all we got. All right. Well, fantastic feedback show, Josh. Great show. Big fan. Lots of fun stuff uh, to talk about. I can't believe it. Here we are with just two Game of Thrones episodes to go. Uh, when's the Game of Thrones book club coming up? Game of Thrones book club is recording in literally three minutes from me saying these words right now. All right. No, no wow. Terry Schwartz this week, unfortunately. Terry Schwartz is tied up with E3, the video game convention. She's Terry 3 right now. Uh, so we will have the great Alex Kidwell is stepping in to fill in Terry's shoes this week. All right. Well, it should be very fun. What's the hashtag today, Josh? Robert Week. Robert Week. Love it. Uh, this week, this Robert Week, uh, we'll be back this Sunday night to break down everything from the Battle of the Bastards. Feels like a little bit of a meta title for a Game of Thrones episode. It does. Like it feels like if an episode in the final seasons of the show is going to be called the Clegane Bowl. <laughs> it just feels like okay we're just like ripping that straight from the fandom i mean at least it's not called the snowball right which would be fun as well but yeah they should name the episodes for the hashtag I yeah think. that'd be great <laughs> that would be great yeah i'm surprised that there isn't a tv show that's already doing that yeah feel like that these shows always try to come up with these clever ways to like these naming conventions for the episode hashtag episode title i feel like seems like something i'd be very surprised if in the next 12 months we don't have a a tv series that starts doing that i think so as well i think that's probably the way to go okay the one with the hashtag all right uh so that being said uh josh is on twitter he's at round howard covering this show like a mofo for thr.com you could read all of his works at thr.com slash Game of Thrones. I'm at Rob Sesterino. Of course, uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by going to postshowrecaps.com slash GOT iTunes for our Game of Thrones feed or postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes for everything we're doing at Post Show Recaps, including all of the fine recapping that Josh Wiggler and Antonio are doing on Mr. Robot. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm having so You even got Jason Somerville watching Mr. Robot. I now. saw that, and that makes me very happy. Great to yes. have Jason along for the ride. And all of you should be along for the ride as well. We are doing those podcasts both spoiler-free and spoiler-filled with a very clear line between the spoiler section and the non-spoiler section. Uh, all of Mr. Robot just popped up on Amazon Prime also um, in the past couple of days. So you can now go and you can stream it if you're an Amazon Prime member. And the show returns for season two on July 13th. We'll keep the coverage going. Mr. Robot, one of my favorite shows that's on TV right now, Really happy with the coverage that Antonio and I are doing. So I implore you all, come along for the ride. Game of Thrones is wrapping up pretty soon. This is a fun one to get in on. All right. So looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments on posterrecaps.com. Take care, everybody. Bye.